Ooh. Ah. Oh yeah, I did that again. Now the upside. Yeah, there we go. Now, now we hot fix it. It's a quick, quick flip. We we hot fix that shit. No big deal. Good stuff. Easy. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. No hard hard very lemon hard. No maybe. Difficult lime. difficult very, very lime. lime lime difficult. Sure. Nice. Whatever works for you, Gabe. Whatever makes you happy. Good stuff. Good stuff. You know. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Sure, sure, sure. All righty. So we got a we got a thick one today, huh? Yeah, we got a lot to talk about. I just want to preface this episode by saying that in this house we don't skip David Delahoe's, but you know we kind of knew that going in. Kind of we went what? We don't skip David Delahoe's in this house. God damn it! I don't get it, bro. The chariot. Oh. Oh, sorry, dude. Did you totally just forget about them? I'm in, I'm in the the mindset right now. You're, you're in the movie mindset, and I'm in the music mindset. Yeah, We're already rocking the right, Ready? That's that's how prepared I am for this podcast right now. I'm cracking that bad boy open. Oh yeah. All right, talk, Gabe. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? Yes. What is going on, guys? Welcome to the Second City Kids podcast, episode number 144. 144. You know, I like that number because uh, when I was learning my multiplication table, uh, 12 times 12 was always like one of the easier ones for me. I always knew it was 144 for whatever fucking reason. Like that shit just clicked. Really? Yeah. Motherfucker. Oh, no. Oh, he a, spilt his monster juice, ladies of, and gentlemen. Son of a... All right. We're going to pause this podcast and we're going we're gonna <laughs> to clean this shit up. All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, we sorry. have cleaned up the uh, rogue monster juice. Sorry, and that's not a metaphor for cum. That is indeed monster juice. Yeah. Uh, well, how's your week, Jake? It's <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. That's why I make sure all my buttons are pressed and all yeah. that. Because it may- wasn't. May- maybe you should have it like behind, like t- towards the corner. Yeah, there you go. So then you got to like swing the other way to smack it. True, but, true, true. You no, know, you're not. Obliged to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Sorry. Sorry about that. That was so, uh, wild. That, that's good, though. You know, the unexpected things on the podcast are sometimes the best, like the rants or the monster spills. Or this is true. This is true. Know. Have we had a like a like a like a like a aisle clean in the podcast history before? No, we've had a runaway dog. We've had, um, we had a couple of things, man. Phone calls that had to be taken. Well, Hi, mom. You're on the podcast. Yeah, that, w- <laughs> that was a pretty good one. Yeah, I even fucking stopped the podcast for that one. Yeah, that one. That one stayed so, on air. So you know this is the real deal when uh when Jacob over here spills the monster for sure yeah but uh yeah we're here and uh like 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 stated you know welcome to episode 144 of the Second City Kids podcast Gabe said it's his favorite multiplication table so at a boy Gabe good stuff but yeah so we're back and uh, we got some stuff to talk about. But we got a seven layer burrito from Taco Bell not sponsored anyway I'm just kind of <laughs> craving it are you a little bit okay fair sometimes enough sometimes you want shitty food. Yeah, that's true. That's you know? for sure. Like yeah. you know that like some like you know that slice is gonna do you in, but you still want it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we are back. We got a lot of stuff to talk about because a rather large life event has happened uh over the course of the last couple of days. But do we have anything any notes before? Yeah, we do. Actually, I put one on the agenda this week. Uh Harry Potter pop up bar. In the city of Chicago. Yeah, in Chicago. That should be fun. Yeah, I'm gonna head out there with some friends and see what's up. 
Oh yeah, it should be a good time. I uh, we went to this Harry Potter themed bar in Toronto called the Lockhart or okay. some shit, and it was kind of a disappointment. But <laughs> why? What was so disappointing about it? It was like really a fucking closet at the end of the day. Was and it like very minimal? Yeah, it was super minimal. And they um, we made dinner reservations, and then like a week before we showed, or, like a month before we showed up, they stopped serving food. <laughs> Which is like super disappointing. That's funny. Right. And all the drinks are just modified versions of regular drinks named after like Potter characters or spells. Aww. But good effort, I guess. Yeah, Gabe, you are booming. Hold on. Booming. It's just my voice, dude. You can't stop because I've been on a kick. Ah, shit. He toned me down. I did. Just God, a little bit. Damn it. Just a smidge. You're just like that sound guy we hate at did, Centennial Lanes. You just did it again, bro. See? There's no stopping me, dude. Take, take it easy, man. There is Hold no stop. I literally had to tell that story to somebody last night. I was like, yeah, we played a show at Centennial Lanes. And that fucking sound guy had it out for us. Like, I was right next to you all night, and I could not fucking hear you. Yeah, that's... that's. And if you can't hear me... Yeah, and we were, what, six feet yeah. from each other pretty much the entire night? Dude, you are clipping hardcore. I am clipping, dude. Jesus Christ. Clippity, clip, clip. It's the voice, dude. It's the boom. I'm excited. I'm ready to roll if you can't tell. I got a little bit of wine in me. I had some good ribs today. <laughs> uh, I, I'm feeling like uh, skinny Bam Margera. I'm just missing the skateboard. Let's rock and roll. Okay, okay, okay. So, yeah, like as stated, we had a major, major life event. Now, I, de- like, I, w- I didn't want to do not – I was going to do non-spoiler for this because I feel it's like – yeah, it's very hard, and also I feel like if we did not spoiler it, we would say nothing more than "Wow, oh, I really liked it," and uh, that would that would spoiler, be spoiler. We liked it. Yeah, that that would be the the big thing. But I want to talk about this. Yeah, like uh, let's cover the other news first, and then let's just do a deep fucking dive into Rise of Skywalker. Absolutely, number one, Bill and Ted coming out with the new one. I saw some footage or some uh, cameras from the uh, on set. Looks pretty fun. Looks like it's going to be fun. Uh, shit. Keanu's yeah. got a busy busy year. Keanu's Keanu's moving and grooving, man. And like you said, he's well, going to We got John Wick, Matrix, Matrix. and now Bill and Ted. Yeah. And SpongeBob movie. The SpongeBob movie. And Cyberpunk, I'm sure he's Yeah, so we got like five bigger releases that he's going to be at the charge at the front of the charge for. And that's not even stuff that we know about, don't even know about yet, you know. Yeah, I'm right. sure we got a lot of stuff that he's working on that we don't know about yet. So, that should be fun. Uh yeah, they they look like they have an age today. Not either of those two guys, so Good that's pretty exciting. Stuff. Uh number 2, I actually saw a little teaser for this. This is A Quiet Place 2. Finally. Yeah, I mean, uh I think one of the most uh What's the one like our groundbreaking horror movies of the last couple of years? Definitely one of the more interesting ones. Def- yes. Yeah, it had a very interesting concept and uh, one of the more well ex- executed new ideas that I've seen. Yeah, John Krasinski can definitely direct, and I'm excited to see where Quiet Place 2 goes. Yeah, absolutely. There's like a little snippet where they're finally stepping off out of their ground. Uh, because if you know if you haven't seen the end of the last one, they kind of figured out a way around certain things, and uh, yeah, now they're exploring, which should be interesting. I told Adriana though, it's funny because the little girl in the movie hasn't aged today, but the boy is like fucking fifty years old now. He's yeah. got that thousand yard stare, man. Yeah, he looks like he's fucking. He's 50. seen some shit. Absolutely. So um, yeah, that should be exciting, and yeah, that's what I gotta say about that. You got any other opinions on that? No, I'm just super excited because I think that recently in the past, I'd say two three years, we've had a lot of quality horror films come out amongst all the crap, and I think that we're finally starting to propel the horror genre in the direction it was meant to go a decade ago, two decades ago in the '90s when shit was overdone and overridden. You know what's funny about that? The moment they start, they started to get away from the remakes. And like, like she let new ideas be new and interesting. Lo and behold, fucking horror movies back, back in the forefront of our minds. It, it's it's oversaturation, and it's trying to please the audience by bringing back old tropes and kind of nods, Easter eggs, things of that nature. Well, that's what that's what it's funny though, because once you give these 
like you know like i said we had the remakes but once you kind of if you're going to bring back an older ip it should be with an original thought so like the halloween 2018 halloween 2018 it's a continuation not exactly a remake but you know kind of setting forth you know maybe a new set of rules the ghostbusters we talked about that last week it's not a straight up remake it's a continuation of where the previous one left off that's good stuff that's that's where we should be with these things you know and i'm glad that maybe the rest of the world is starting to figure that out as well you know Let's let's give these. If we're gonna bring back old stuff, let's give it new life. Let's especially with all the good fresh blood we got out there, like mm-hmm. a Aster with Hereditary and Midsummer, yep. and obviously uh, you know McBride and his team uh, helming ha- uh, Halloween. I mean, you know, I, I probably give him more credit than yeah. he deserves, but it's still to be noted that he grew up with them. He wrote it. Like, give new people a chance because yeah. you might come out on top. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, man. So that that's something that I'm excited for. Uh, me and Adrian, I saw, like I said, the little snippet they had in front of the movie that we saw today, and um, yeah, we were, we, we looked pretty we're, we're pretty excited about. It. Next up, again, we're kind of flying through this though because we got we got stuff. We got some beef. Yeah, we got some beef. Uh, Michael Fassbender is a, reportedly being uh, cast as Doctor Fate. Love it. I think Fassbender is an excellent actor that's just had shit movies recently. Yeah, and I'm all for it because he's great. And James McAvoy are fucking, you know, just the whole X-Men uh, relationship they had. Yeah. But I think those two work really well in a setting if you give them room to play with the character. And mm-hmm. I think Dr. Fate might just be enough leeway to for him to get creative with it. Yeah, definitely. And I, it's, I know because I saw some a little bit. Well, like, you ready to play Magneto? It's like, well, it's, it's not like his face is going to be up front and center as he's playing Dr. Fate. Cause well, the, well, even then, X-Men yeah. is great when you kind of separate it from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know what Correct. I mean? Like, that's meant to be kind of its own depiction correct correct no you're right and uh so yeah i thought that was kind of interesting and i'm i'm for that i think that'd be a good a good selection and uh i think we need to see more fastbender doing more interesting project these days and dr fate i think that's uh he should have some fun with that he's gonna get a nice little payroll off that one absolutely uh, and we'll see how it how the execution of that moving forward um you know how that's going to shape up all right so as stated larger Larger franchise, something that we talked about last week that we would be covering. So, quick disclaimer: if you haven't seen the film, please go see it. Yes, and come back to this podcast eventually uh, because we're gonna go full balls deep, spoilers, thematic analysis, shit of that nature. Absolutely, and we're just gonna spearhead it. So, uh, you saw it this morning. I saw Correct. it opening night. Correct. Um, what do you think? Okay, I what I thought. Want to know what I thought, Gabe? Yeah, I thought that this is easy as easily the best of this set. Oh, that's not even a question. Yeah, I think easily this is the best movie of this of this I got, trilogy. I got a hotter take. Okay, I think it's the second best Star Wars film right after Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I would have to to see how it ages on me, but I will say I'm immediately enthusiastic about the outlook of that. I think if I took all of them and kind of stirred them around a little bit, well, you know, I had to take a better look, a better look at that. I mean, um, you know, I like Rogue One a lot. I think that's up there too. So um, we'd have to play that around a little bit with that and have to you know see what like the long run of it. But immediately, I am enthusiastic. Okay, um, and I, I was just listening to our review of the Last Jedi before I saw the movie because I'm like, well, did we have the rose-colored glasses with the Last Jedi? And we really didn't. Actually, you and I pretty much were like, well, there's some problems, some real problems with it. And I, we actually complained about it more than we. Talked about, it, yeah. yeah, but more talked about more how much we like we liked it. So I think immediately we were like, oh, it's not the worst one ever, but you know it's it's down there. But you know, in retrospect, it might be one of the like the worst one. But with this, yeah, I'm th- I'm talking about what I like it more than, and so far we're looking pretty good. So 
I think it's hilarious because the, the general reception for this is mixed, is mixed, extremely mixed. Um, well, you know, I mentioned it to you that don't read reviews, just go in and watch it correct. from your own opinion because nobody hates Star Wars more than Star Wars fans. Because, 100%. and I think you put it into the perfect perspective on last week's show because you said that Ryan Johnson is not a bad director or writer. It was just simply his vision of Star Wars, and that did not align with our vision of Star Wars. Correct. And I can respect that. But now that we have J.J. Abrams back at the helm, kind of tying up, you know, open ends and Mm -hmm. bringing it back to its glory, I feel so fucking reinvigorated as a Star Wars fan because Mm -hmm. I really didn't give a shit this year about Mandalorian, about the new Star Wars, Mm -hmm. about Fallen Order, about any like Star Wars related thing. Mm -hmm. And then I saw the film and now I I want to consume. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, yeah, that's, that's generally my point of view. I mean... I was terrified of this movie because I did not want it to be bad. And you didn't want it to be over, too. I think that's the big thing because it's always been there in our life. Obviously, the original trilogy has been there since we were born. But you and I grew up watching the prequel trilogy and watching, uh, you know, and growing fond of it and then growing to kind of hate it and then liking it again. You know, this like weird progression. But I think that now that we know that there's not going to be any more mainline Star Wars films, at least at the moment, Mm -hmm. it's this kind of bittersweet ending to the franchise at least the the kind of the iv drip of the main line you know obviously we still got the obi-wan series coming out mandalorian still going on Mm -hmm. i'm sure we'll get more games and supplementary materials Mm -hmm. but the nine films are done yeah and it's a weird weird thing absolutely um you know obviously the podcast doesn't exist when the had ended previously Uh, and like i said um we didn't know we with the the prequel trilogy we knew where we were going to end up right because of the original set nothing wrong with that um, but with this set, we uh, we had no idea the destination, uh, so that's why it made it very exciting because we were looking forward to where it was going. Now, Last Jedi came out, and um, it removed a lot of the in- more interesting storylines that we could have had. You a know? lot of the setup. Yeah, it removed a lot of the stuff that JJ did um, because I don't know. Maybe like you said, Ryan just had a different point of view, and uh, he's very much at war with fans still to this day about it. You know what I mean? And I've heard him. I'm like, well, you didn't like it. You didn't like it. You know, it is what it is. Um, this is how I saw it. This is how I liked it. And if you didn't like it, okay, I'm sorry. But there's a whole plethora of Star Wars movies that a lot of these fans don't like these days. You know what I mean? It is what it is. Um, and the biggest complaint I'm seeing is, well, it's 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 tugging on your member berries. It's all playing towards your nostalgia. It's all playing towards the things that we have seen previously. It's like, well, first off, you got an original idea with The Last Jedi and you hated it. So what do you want? Well, even then, it may give nods and tippets hat to certain elements and characters and mm-hmm. themes from the first six films. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's like a rekindling or a repainting of something like how The Force Awakens was. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's just a repaint. I yeah. think that this presents a lot of cool, very interesting things. Mm-hmm. And granted, some... You know, the final order. First of all, I love that because the first order, order 66 and the final order, mm-hmm. it just kind of lines up. It also, nicely. it also lines up with the final solution that Hitler, his whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I kind of liked that whole, well, how do we, how do we endanger even more fucking people? Give each Death Star its own planetary destruction laser. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I thought that was a very simple, elegant solution mm-hmm. to a problem in which we kind of faced at the end of the original trilogy where I was like, well, we already saw a Death Star. Yeah. 
and then you know with the first order we already saw the planet destroyer which was just the fucking repaint yeah and so giving that i think was just super simple super elegant and it really kind of uh i don't know it hooked me on man mm-hmm. you know what i mean for sure and the movie uh, let's just kind of go through it step by step the movie fucking kicks in and it fucking it's moving i, I told you it is it, it is my favorite opening to a star wars film yeah. period it's fucking with kylo just exploring uh what was the name of the fucking planet i can't remember uh, it's uh, X, xo exxon something like that something with like an x sound to it um anyway it it shows him finding the sith holocron i don't care if you call it the transport it's a fucking sith holocron Wave, at the end of wayfinders the day. Wayf- so calling. fucking stupid yeah but he finds it plugs it into his tie fighter fi- finds the planet flies mm. there goes into this crazy fucking sith temple goes to the bottom and we see our first sign of darth fucking sidious and he explains the last three films and what's been going on correct if, if you looked around you even saw snokes like in a clones back- yep. yes yeah, uh you know snow clones in a back to tank and now, like that leaves you know things up in the air. Like, well, was he a clone the whole time? What Definitely. exactly he came from? Was he just met, met, you know genetically modified? Uh, things like that. And basically, Palpatine explains, well, I'm the one that was behind it the whole. I entire- was the voice in your head yeah. the entire time. The whole entire time, and that he was basically puppeting Snoke the whole entire time. And let me talk about how fucking Sidious looked because he looked fucking terrifying. He looked like there was something severely wrong with this man. I I didn't think that he would get any spookier, but aside from, you know, the white eyes mm-hmm. and missing a couple fingers, um when we saw him towards the end of the movie where he was hooked up to that massive machine and mm-hmm. it almost looked like he was fucking crucified. Mm-hmm. Now that was fucking terrifying. Yeah, he he looked fucked up like an <laughs> like and, and people are like, "Well, how do you survive?" It's like it's not like he's like brushed himself off and fucking walked away from it. No, he looked like he was jacked up pretty fucking good. Uh, in that scenario, and it's not like he was normal, you know. Uh, I mean, it basically sets the, sets the adventure, you know. It's the opening of the video game. Here's your adventure, go. And um, you know, Kylo, you know, you kind of gave Kylo a, like an objective, right? He tells Cyrus, Kylo the secrets, you know. And now Kylo almost knows more than he's supposed to. And you know, it, we're off. And um, yeah, I kind of liked a, a lot of the setup. You know, I like the fact that Finn is not a total bitch in this movie for once. You know, in the first two, he was just like annoying, trying to run away. It's like, shut the fuck up. Be a hero. We want you to be a hero. Be that fucking hero that we want you to be. And this time he's fucking stepping up and actually being that hero that we all want. And even then, the group dynamic between uh, Ray, uh, Finn, and Poe is so fucking good because they're constantly at each other's throats bickering about, no, we do this, no, we do that, mm-hmm. blah, blah, Ray, you should have been here. Yeah. And it's this weird kind of thing where they're past the honeymoon phase of being new friends and things like that. And they realize that they're put in this fucking situation that nobody wants to be in and technically this is the first time that they're all together on screen like i guess yeah yeah. i guess that's a good point as well they've all been together on screen for the first time usually they were pairing off in different ways and and i don't think we saw a whole bunch of screen time with poe and ray together um because it felt very fresh that kind of dynamic and like yeah they have different points of view and how this whole conflict's going to work out you know and uh race training you know under princess leia under uh general leia so that was an interesting take. I'm I didn't... glad they fucking explained that shit. Yeah. That she had formal Jedi training yeah. under Luke. Yeah. Because that was a big, big thing in 8 that everybody was tripping about. Correct. Absolutely. Um, And yeah, the, the and she called her master as she walked away. I'm like, holy shit. I, talk, I looked at Adriana. I'm like, well, that's fucking awesome. What the fuck? Um, and she's reaching out for the other Jedi to, you know, is somebody, basically, is anybody there I'm trying to you know speak to me, talk to me, things like that. And nobody's there for her. So she's like, ah, whatever. It does a literal, uh, her little training. And then kind of connects with Kylo again. So they're connecting again, you know, and uh, talking and communicating, have this open line of communication. And they're kind of playing around with this, 
their ability to snatch things. It's a plane shift. Yeah. To snatch stuff from each other's environment and being able to use it. That's something that they set up almost immediately is their ability to do that. Dude, that fucking payoff at the end with the Knights around was so gratifying. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. We'll get there when we get there. But, yeah. Um, and then, you know, like I said, we're looking for this thing. And apparently Palpatine set up some sort of broadcast where everybody knows that he's back. Or somebody knows he's back. I don't know. And, um, you know, like you said, we got the new Death Star where it's basically a whole fleet of Star Destroyers that is capable of destroying planets. And, you know, you say about that, about what you will. I thought it was pretty cool. I liked how a lot of the the Star Destroyers look more Sith-like because it wasn't just like a repaint of old Imperial stuff. Like, no, like this is like Sith technology that they're obviously diving into with everything that's going on in that little cave, all the genetic stuff and all that. And they also start to show us um, some of, um, you know, Ray's news abilities. You know what she's capable of doing. Force heal is a big one, big thing in this movie. Well, that's the bond they share. Yeah, that's the power from from their bond. Yeah, but more specifically, the Force lightning that she inherits from being a Palpatine. Mm-hmm. Which uh, I kind of want to touch on that because we talked a little bit about nature versus nurture in our Joker review. But I think this movie exemplifies that even better because Mm -hmm. we have two kind of opposing views where Kylo is born a tried and true Skywalker by blood. And he manages to fall to the dark side, Mm -hmm. which is a bit ironic because, well, I guess not because Anakin falls and he redeems himself, right? Mm -hmm. But whereas Luke is this kind of tried and true lawful good character. And we have Rey who's born a Palpatine and she becomes a good character. So yeah. it kind of, you know, I think that's an interesting uh, take because I'm sure if Palpatine raised Rey right from the get-go, she would have inherited the Sith throne and become the true Sith Empress. Correct. You know what I mean? As stated, yes, she is um, Palpatine's granddaughter. granddaughter. Yeah. Um, now, we, we haven't seen anything about his kid before. I mean, that's all new information to us, but who cares? You know what I mean? He's a fucking, you can do whatever he wants. He's a fucking Sith Lord. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. Hitler's kid wanted some goddamn peace and quiet after the war. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, you're probably right about that. But um, yeah, so they set that up and think, yes, you are the granddaughter of Palpatine, right? And uh, that kind of sends everybody for a loop. And now she's starting to have this internal struggle with herself. You know, what am I? What am I doing? What am I doing here? Like, you know, do I continue to go down this path and potentially risk falling to the dark side? You know, uh, because they're talking about how it's kind of built built in her, right? That's It has to be a part of her, la, 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 stuff like that. So, yeah, they set that up um, and all that good stuff. So, uh, what else What else happened in Gabe? There was a lot of interesting kind of... Well, uh, first of all, I like this movie because the big plot is simple. That Final Order is invading in 16 hours. we got to stop them. we got to get there, destroy the beacon, right? That's Correct. pretty much hmm. the main story at the end of the day. But yeah. all this interesting stuff happens in between and all these little minutiae and these problems that pop up left and right. Mm-hmm. And I think that direction was very interesting because we got to see a little bit of uh, Poe's backstory, how he was part of, you know, he was a spice runner. Mm-hmm. He was part of, you know, some sort of exchange program mm-hmm. and shit like that. And I liked that aspect of him because I feel like Poe and Finn are not, that fleshed out Mm -hmm. even at the end of nine they're not that crazy fleshed out but i did enjoy seeing some more of their backstory absolutely um what else really tickled my funnies um i thought the entire the entire final sequence was excellent in the sith temple with everybody chanting and Mm -hmm. just to go swing at palpatine and everything absolutely i thought that was very wonderfully set up because um and and jj abrams knew exactly what he did because the initial reaction is for ray to kill palpatine right to stop the sith force and to kind of you know put that to a halt but the caveat here's the fucking grand grand caveat it's like well if you kill me 
You just become me. You you become the Sith Empress because all the Sith Lords live in me and that'll flow into you. Yeah. And I thought that was such a nice, beautiful fuck you yeah. moment in the film. For sure. Where it's not that easy. It's yeah. not what it seems. Mm-hmm. For sure. And uh, I just I want to talk about them uh, rummaging through the Death Star, the destroyed Death Star over Endor. And, uh, you know, basically that was where what they're looking for is that it was in, hitting in his, uh, you know, in his, in his throne room somewhere. So they go, went to go get it. And then there's this kind of this crazy fight that breaks out between Kylo Ren and fucking Ray. Well, they, even Ray and Ray herself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was pretty cool too. That, I, I like that because that's a nod to something that they did in Knights of the Old Republic. You go into this Sith temple on the planet of Korriban, which is like a Sith planet, mm-hmm. and you have this kind of self-reflection moment. And one of those things is fighting like a force ghost version of yourself and mm-hmm. conquering that, you know, mm-hmm. and I thought that was a very nice nod. I don't know if it was deliberate, but seeing that kind of sort of same continuity and that same plane of thought was really nice and refreshing in a film. It also, um, it also kind of mirrored what Luke went, Luke went through on Dagobah when he went to the cave and saw himself in Vader. Same kind of deal, you know, uh, the potential of what can go wrong, you know, and if it's supposed to scare you, that's the point. And uh, yeah, they had this fucking epic lightsaber fight. I thought it was pretty fucking cool. And, you know, um, Basically, they're just trying to... It's like this grand tug of war between the two, you know, um, where she's being pulled. She feels like she's being pulled to the dark. And he feels like, which we something we covered when Seven came out, he's kind of getting pulled towards the light. You know, Kylo Ren's being pulled towards the light. So they're fighting, they're breaking down. And then Leia realizes that the only way she can stop this and um, reach out to her son is to give everything she has to the forest and reach out to him and communicate with him. And they're fighting, and then in that moment, maybe Kylo Ren's about to go for the killing strike, and in that moment, he, he drops be- his saber. Yeah, he becomes Ben again after all this time, you know. And it's it's one of the great things because after that happens, you know, Leia uh, passes out in the bed and she passes away. But um, you know, after Ray stabs him because she gets she does get the better of him in that exchange because he was distracted. Um, she does the whole force heal thing, and they kind of get he. I think he comes to this realization that this is who I am. Like, I'm not supposed to be what I've become. I'm supposed to be Ben Solo. This is who I am. And, um, that confrontation with, uh, Han was was really brutal too. Yeah. Where he's trying to, uh, he's almost like putting up this mental blockade. Like I've gone too far. Like I literally killed you, dad. Mm -hmm. Well, he doesn't call him dad at first, you know, but when he says father, it was like shit. Yeah. You know, he kind of realizes the error of his way, but he's maybe too committed to the Sith at this point to feel like he has no point of redemption. I think he feel I think his thing mirrors what Anakin went through because I think Anakin's fall was because he felt like he went too far that he couldn't go back. Uh, I think what after the whole Mace Windu thing, he knew that he was wrong. What have I done? He's is what he said. And I think um Kylo Ren believes that he had gone too far that there's nothing that he can do that he's committed to this path and he has to see it to the end. When in actuality it's no, you 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 know, you are who you are. And the the, the conversation very much plays out how the same conversation went on the Starkiller base right before Han Solo got killed where he's like, I know he's like, I know what I have to do, but I don't know if I'm strong enough. And he's like, you are, you know, that's all you need to know. You are. And he, you know, does the whole face touch thing, everything like that. And then that moment, instead of not even the lightsaber, what she did in the original, he takes the lightsaber and throws it into the ocean. It's just like, that's fucking beautiful. Like that was one of the best story moments. Wrap ups. Yeah. Honestly, Cause he's, fully redeemed at this point correct uh, um he sees the errors of his ways and that's something that um we, we kind of touched upon because when we saw kylo we saw that he was a troubled youth yeah you know he wasn't this menacing imposing vader-like character he mm. was very conflicted on the inside absolutely and he had his little fucking tirade when shit didn't go his way correct 
And uh, that's something that we, was hit on in The Last Jedi, his hesitation to kill his mother. Because there's something inside of him that does not agree with what he's doing, right? That's why he couldn't kill his mother in the in the previous film. And it finally, you're, it appeals to that. And you finally get to see this character who we've all wanted to cheer for at this point. Uh, and I, I talked about it on when we reviewed Seven that they had to do something like that for Kylo in order for us to hate him. Because other than that, he's a pretty badass character that we wanted to like. And in that moment, Han Solo tells us it's okay. Tells us all, tells him. It's like, it's okay. You know, um, we're, we, we, can, we can still fix this, basically. And he becomes redeemed in that moment, like you said. And um, Ray goes to Jakku because she's trying to hide from this. Uh, she's basically saying, well, I'm going to do the same thing that you did. I'm not going to be able to put myself in a situation to re- remove myself from this planet. She tries to throw the lightsaber into the into the fire and then fucking boom. Luke catches it. Yeah, Luke catches it. Force goes Luke, which is the first time we see That seen wasn't Jakku, by the way. That was wherever oh, Luke Octu, was. Oh, Octu, Octu, Yeah, you're right. My bad. Um, yeah, and Luke catches it, and he's like, that's no way to treat a lightsaber, which is fucking hilarious because he fucking... God damn it, Mark Hamill. Yeah, he tossed it over his shoulder in the last one. But yeah, and then Luke's basically explaining. He's like, I was not right for coming here. Like, this was not the right thing to do. Um, the right thing to do is to face your fear and to address it head on. And um, they fucking, you know, he's like, I got something to show you. So he brings us to his old hut and basically removes like a brick. And there it is Leia's fucking lightsaber. And they give us a little flashback of a young Leia and a young Luke training, basically saying, hey, like, you know, and when we we're on the last couple of steps for training, she opted out because she saw the end and that would have to lead to the death of her son. And so she's, she opted out. And this lightsaber was fucking cool looking, too. Her lightsaber was super cool looking. And uh, he's like, go with both and uh, go address your fear. And they're, they're off, you know. Um, it's kind of funny how that's like the parent's blessing yeah. at the end of the day, if you think about it like mm-hmm. that. I also want to address the uh, critical point in the movie where okay. I almost broke down and lost my shit. Because when uh, Chewie has his shit fit about Leia dying, mm-hmm. it kind of hit me at that moment yeah. that he outlives all his friends. Yeah. And that's so fucking sad. Yeah. When he said that, when the, the lady said, that, well, she's gone, he was hit his 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 heart broke. You could see it in his face. Like he slouched over, and then he just fired, started fucking screaming, and then he was on his knees and stuff. And it's like, yeah, all his friends are gone. You know, um, everything he loves is gone. I mean, he has Lando, but you know, at the end of the day, his family was Han and Leia and Luke. You know, and that's it. You know, they're gone. And uh, yeah, his, his thing, yeah, his whole reaction to that was very heartbreaking. And um, in that moment, you know, uh, Poe becomes the general of the army and he makes uh, Finn a general, which, again, he, it fit him at this point. I feel like if we had Finn from the previous movie, I'd be like, he's not a fucking general, dude. Like, there's no way. But in this movie, he was already acting more heroic, doing more things like that. And, um, yeah, it was like it made you believe, yes, it's time for him to step up as well and become a general. And, yeah, they're basically it's like, well, you know, we got to give it to him what we got. You know, there's if they're not there to help us, you know, we got to do what we can do to try to stop them uh, that if we ask for help, basically the same thing they said at the end of the last Jedi, if we send out, ask for help, somebody will show up, you know what I mean? If they believe in this and um, basically that their you know, their powers together are, you know, they don't want to feel alone. And you know, if they stick together that they'll be able to accomplish anything. Right. So Ray arrives at the fucking Sith planet and um, yeah, they go down and basically she's confronting her great grand or her grandfather and, you know, this whole thing back and forth and how he feels, like you said, that, you know, um, if she if he if she strikes him down that, you know, that she's on her. now. Yeah. She just inherits what he left off. Things like that. And um, 
fucking Kylo running running around in a goddamn t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. He fucking arrives in a TIE fighter, comes down in a goddamn t-shirt, uh, removed himself from his lightsaber, and he confronts the Knights of Ren, which we saw a little bit of. You know, I thought that was such a fucking fitting thing because the from Seven, we got like the Knights of Ren. You yeah. know, the moment Seven ended, we were like, Knights of Ren, Knights of yeah. Ren. We were expecting him this whole fucking time, and then we got to see some action, and I think it was a truly fitting ending that the guys who served Kylo to no end Kylo had to put them down himself. Correct. You know what I mean? And they had the, that good moment where she had the lightsaber and she put it behind her back. And then fucking Kylo Ren removes the lightsaber from his back. And God, this shit was so I'm tight. like, that's fucking sick. <laughs> <laughs> At that moment, he has Anakin's lightsaber. He said, and seven, that's mine. You need to give it to me. The lightsaber of Anakin. And here he is wheeling that bad boy. And he fucking throwing down with that thing. And, um, like, you know, it's really driving hold the point, man. Fuck. You know, this, this is all coming to an end. His story mirrors his grandfather's in a lot of ways where he's here to redeem himself and uh, to bring balance back to the force, I guess. So they confront um, Sidious. Sidious and they both have the lightsabers, which again gave goosebumps and goosebumps and all that because, you know, watching them kind of stare them down with both of them with the blue lightsabers. It was just like perfect. Um, so he does like a fuck. How do you, how would you explain what he does to these two? Sidious. It's like a, he absorbs their life energy. Yeah. All That's of it. Exactly what he does. Yeah. Basically bringing himself back to his form, you know, um, he's sucking the life out of them to give it to himself and basically say, well, fuck, I got to do you know, this my- bond is special. Mm-hmm. This is only around every once in a while. This restore life property. Yeah. So I'm going to suck that shit up like it's a margarita on a half price Tuesday. Correct. And uh, basically, like I said, returning himself to true form and saying, well, fuck it. I'm the only person who could, who could run this shit, apparently, and does the dopest lightsaber fucking force lightning thing I've ever seen in my uh, life. Dude, that planetary EMP. Yeah. That now that was fucking cool. Yeah, that was fucking that was that was we have never seen anything like that before. And uh, yeah, he fucking threw it up in the sky. Next thing you know, everything is falling out of the goddamn sky. <laughs> and everybody's like, fuck. And um, yeah, it looks pretty bleak. It looks pretty bleak in that moment. And um, you know, he tosses Kylo Ren aside, saying that I'm not gonna be bested by a fucking Skywalker again. Goodbye. You know what I mean? And um, Ray's on the floor. And she's like, fuck, this is, you know, this is it. And she's like, closes her eyes. She's like, you know, reach out to me again. And here we are. All the voices, Liam oh. Neeson, Ewan McGregor, the guy who voiced Yoda. Yeah. Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, I, th- I think we heard uh, Hayden Christensen as uh, Anakin. I didn't hear Samuel Jackson, but you didn't hear Samuel Jackson. I did not hear oh, Samuel yeah, Jackson. Yeah. I was listening for it. I did uh, not hear. He it. was there. He was definitely. We'll, we'll check the credits when it comes out. Yeah. Apparently uh, the lady who uh, voiced Ahsoka too, she was in there. Like mm-hmm. there was some voices in there. And, uh, I wanted, I wanted fucking Obi-Wan so bad. I wouldn't even be able to handle it. I didn't hear him, but I wanted him so bad. I wanted him to show up, though. That is a force ghost. Yeah, you know how I am, though. Uh, but, yeah, so she's like, just the same as he is all Sith. You know, I you are all the Jedi. And she fucking stands up and they confront. Now, this is the only, like, minor complaint I have about the film is that he did go down kind of lame. Uh, basically, it's a rehash. By his own hand. Yeah. Um, basically the same thing that happened with Mace where he just reflect the, the lightsaber back in his face. So that, I thought that was ironic. Kind of, you should have learned. Correct. Yeah. Somebody uh, I saw on the comments is like, what is his lightning? Like P once you start, you just can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, it basically obliterates him and you know, she dies, I guess, quote unquote dies. And in that moment, Kylo Ren, uh, walks up to her or Ben at this point walks up to her and then, transfers any life force that he has left over and dies himself you mean he frenches a dead girl well well you know there's <laughs> yeah um so that was a very interesting move because my one gripe with the movie is that i think ray should have died and 
Ben should have lived. Mm-hmm. But that's just me, and I think I'm a sucker for the whole redemption yeah. underdog thing. I understand the move, and I'm not like truly upset by it, mm-hmm. but I get it. And that was the end of Kylo's arc, and, and the end of the Skywalkers, really, if yeah. you think about it. For sure. Super sad. Yeah. And then the movie kind of wraps up. We get the whole plan, you know, the happiness after the war scene <laughs> that we saw in 4, yeah. like we saw in Endor and yeah. all that shit. And then Ray goes back to Tatooine. Yeah. Back to... The Lars farm. Yeah, the Lars farm. Mm-hmm. And, oh, man, revisiting that. Yeah, like, that the was beautiful. The remains and just kind of looking through it was powerful. Yeah. She wraps up Luke's and Leia's saber, and she buries them deep right off the property. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing we see... Is Luke and Leia in the distance. Well, no, the last thing we see is the, the lady asking her, like, what's your name? And she's like, Ray. And she's like, Ray what? Ray Skywalker. Yeah. And that shit was fucking tight. Yeah. It, it was cool. Now, I, I agree with uh, something that somebody said. Like, wouldn't it have been more powerful if she called herself a Palpatine because that's what she is? And basically, it's the biggest fuck you to Palpatine saying, you're not my legacy. I define what my legacy is. Well, if you think about it, Palpatine never raised her. Mm-hmm. Leia was her master. And Luke was her master in the last one. Mm-hmm. She is the force adopted daughter of the two Skywalkers. True. You yeah. know, and that's why I think it's called Rise of Skywalker. And I yeah. think that's why she walked away with that. Yeah. With that surname. I could get that. And she also showed off her little. Her oh, name. but God, it's just so cool. Did you notice that it's the end of her staff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just so tight. Yeah. And then it had like a switch and it was like a. It orange. wasn't even a twinch. It was like a dial. Yeah. Almost. It was like like an orange hue, like an orange. Yeah. I'd color. say like orangey yellow. Yeah. That was kind of cool. Um, That was kind of a new look at a, a color that we haven't seen. Yeah. That one's going to sell a lot of merch. Yeah. It hasn't seen a canon yet. And of course, you got to throw her lightsaber in there because like you said, got to sell that to kids. And uh, yeah, and you see Leia and Luke off into the distance, and then kind of just shake her head, and she looks off into the the twin moon or twin suns, and and you hear yeah, yeah, and but my favorite thing, I mean, I I I agree with you to an extent. It would have been nice to see Kylo live on, but his story arc directly mirrors mirrors his his grandfather's, yeah. yeah, and. He redeemed himself in that moment, and then he became one with the Force. It, it, isn't that beautiful that he wanted to be Vader so bad, and in the end, he he did become yeah, Vader. Exactly. But then he also became Anakin again. Correct, and that's why it was so fucking beautiful. And in that moment where he became one with the Force, his mother became one with the Force, so they're together. They get to be together, and uh, that was beautiful. He, his head's going to be grounded. Yeah. <laughs> I, w- I would actually would have liked to see him in that final moment. And maybe kind of appear like the three force ghosts. Yes, at the end of uh, at the end of Return of the Jedi, I would have liked to see that moment. It's going to be a deleted scene. I could already tell you that one. Probably, um, man. It was just a hell of a ride, man. The whole thing was absolutely fantastic. Adam Driver was fucking excellent in this again. So fucking good. He is. He has been like the the overall saving grace for a lot of these complaints that a lot of people have. He was so fucking good and so excellent in this film. And um, it, fuck it, man. I, I, I we didn't even talk about it, but. The fact that Leia and Carrie Fisher was completely CGI is like incredible. I didn't even notice. Yeah, it's because it, I told Adriana, I'm like, because it looked pretty good in Rogue One, and I'm like, but this like it, this is a step up because it looks exactly like her. And there are some moments you can kind of tell, but for the overall, it looks like she's fucking standing there still, and that's what like the most wild idea. Thing they took Carrie Fisher's brain out after <laughs> she died, put it in a jar, and they have Carrie Fisher clones on deck. Oh, okay, okay. So you know, it's like Disney is Camino. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Anyway, I thought it was a really good movie, and I actually quite enjoyed the way it wrapped up. I think we saw a lot of new things, a lot of old things, and I think it was a nod to everything that came before and a very respectful wrap-up to a franchise that millions and millions of people hold near and dear to their mm-hmm. heart. Correct. 
and I like it. And I said that I think honestly, I think if Empire Strikes Back came out in this day and age and it wasn't a classic, I think those two would be, you know, dog heading it. I think they'd be like really at each other's throats. Mm-hmm. But that's not the case. Uh, you know, we got to have precedent. You got to have respect for your elders. Mm-hmm. But this is right, right below it. And I think this is my second favorite Star Wars film. Yeah. And I think that's the best thing I could say for for this yeah i had nothing but complaints correct yeah um that's it's it's a it's a wild thing because um jj found a pretty good way of kind of turning the ship around quickly and that's like a lot of people were like oh it's too fast it's like he kind of had to because he had a lot of stuff that he had to fix in a short amount of time what did i tell you before you saw it i was like this movie does not waste a second of screen correct and he had a lot of stuff that he had to fix basically like i feel like a lot of it was like a big fuck you to ryan johnson for like fucking it up he's like no 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 no, we gotta fix this um like i said kylo ron gets his mask back you know, Luke's talking, talking sense again, things like that, you know, and uh, it corrected it. Somebody said um, actually that minus um, Luke dying and Snoke dying in the little the, the the eighth one. Like you really don't have to see eight to enjoy this movie. And I'm like, that's very I mean, the the crate scene was pretty tight, in my opinion. Yeah, but like it, it was OK. But, I, you know, they said that, like, you know, narratively speaking, you really don't have to see eight, really, you know. Huh. So I wonder if the new machete order is going to be like. Four, five, two, three, six, and then seven, nine, and we just leave one and eight out of it. That'll yeah, be interesting. Yeah, that'll be. I wonder how that would pan out if we like kind of. I don't know if we could watch these things for the first time again. You know. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's definitely interesting. I, I, yeah, but I guess we had to map that out. But overall, like I said, it, I don't understand the hate. I agree with you. Star Wars fans are never happy. They'll complain about if you released Empire Strikes Back again. Yeah, they, they'd complain. They'd find something to complain about because that's just how. This is most, like one of the most toxic fan bases that I've seen, and I, I, I'm a Call of Duty fan. So <laughs> you're an Overwatch fan, yeah, that too. So I don't know. Uh, for me, as far as rating, I don't feel right giving it a rating because it's bigger than that. You know, it's not just the movie. That... It's the sum of every movie that came before it. Correct. We have nine movies, two hours a piece. We have probably like 20 hours worth of content, mm-hmm. and that's just not fair to give one movie that wraps up the previous. 17 and a half hours yeah i was super satisfied with how it ended they did a great job jj abrams doing god's work and um you you are now officially free from the title of jar jar, jar abrams. abrams yes you get your you get your jj well back. i guess jar jar was like a senator at the end right and three he a re- was a he was a representative for the senator well i don't know actually that's a good point well we need to rewatch three again then and uh, see uh, no, and see don't. what his role was it's okay <laughs> i don't think revenge of the system was that bad honestly. I, I liked it yeah um it's, i think that's probably the better of, of the that, highlight of, of that set the prequels, yeah. yeah of that um, set. but yeah absolutely stellar fucking movie um i'm really pleased man like i said i, I think it reinvigorated me as a star wars fan mm-hmm. now we gotta we might just have to sit down and rewatch all of them again and just go along for the fucking ride. It's like your favorite roller coaster. You know the twists and turns, but it's just that thrill and that rush of watching some of the fights. Yep, for sure. It, it, it was great. And another complaint I saw, and this is like the most fucking r- ridiculous thing because people are just looking for anything to nitpick. It's like, oh, well, they made Hux a bitch. It's like, well, first off, he was kind always of. a. He, well, you know, yeah, he was always a bitch. I'm like, but we saw fucking Vader choking out Emeralds left and right in fucking Empire Strikes Back, and nobody, oh, yeah, and nobody, Kylo fucking tongue tossed him up. Yeah, nobody cared about that, and he was kind of a mole at the end. I, I get it, I get it, um, and I get that kind of mentality of he can't outdo me, mm-hmm. and I understand where he's coming from. Yeah, but come on, dude, Hux wasn't that big of a fucking character. He really at wasn't. the end of the day. Yeah, you know, he had his 15 minutes, 
and then he got probably demoted. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And um, I don't. Again, people are just fucking looking at the littlest things, just to say like, it's like, oh, it's the worst thing ever. And when in actuality, who fucking cares about Hux? You know what I mean? I think, I think JJ did right by bringing him back and kind of wrapping up his relatively short story. Mm-hmm. But we still saw it. Yeah, I, I like how they're. Uh, you know, shoot, char- shoot me in the shoulder. Yeah, the character's reaction in the movie was our reaction in the theater. Like, really? You? Like, you were the, you were the one? Like, you know what I mean? So I thought that, yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. And, uh, you know, his storyline came to an end. Who cares? He's a fucking bullshit, you know, general for the first order. Who fucking cares? You know what I mean? So, yeah, so that would, I think that would wrap, up, wrap it up. It, it would have been cool to see, uh, instead of, who was it, General or Lieutenant Pride, uh, the one who always followed Sidious, to have it been Grand Moff Tarkin. But yeah. I can't remember if they killed Tarkin, did it? did they? They killed the target. Target died in the Death Star. There we go. Yeah, that explains it. Yeah, but I think that would have been a cool little yeah thing for sure. that wasn't circumstance. But anyway, that was our Rise of Skywalker stars episode nine review. We Dark. both seriously enjoyed it. Yes, we and did. And maybe when some time passes, we could sit down and do like a critical analysis. You, me, and mayhaps Greg because he's pretty good at some of the facts and mm-hmm. kind of dissect it even further. Correct. But um, yeah, seriously, check it out because we could sit here and explain and analyze all day long, but you don't experience it till you experience it. Yeah, absolutely correct. So. Yep, definitely check it out. Uh, it's out in theaters, obviously. I'm sure it'll make a good chunk of change. Theater wasn't overly packed. That's okay, though. Uh, I don't like people being next to me anyway. So, sure. so yeah, uh, definitely check it out. Please, 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 please. It was so good. Out of all the ones that deserves to make bank in this set, this was the one. So, please do. All right, now we got some gaming news. Talk to me about uh, this first topic. <laughs> yeah, so last year, The Final Nightmare. This is uh, the asymmetrical horror-based uh, movie. Our game, oh my god, game that is based and set in the high school where they have this the serial killer chasing you around the high school and stuff like that. Uh, this came out, this is dropped, I actually, and um, it looks really good. It looks like a lot of fun. Um, so basically, you get to pick your much like uh, Dead by Daylight, you get to kind of pick your your killer and like their like lame backstory, their kind of B B movie backstory. They had a fucking gigantic spider, which all I know is, is that if I was playing. Uh, you know, this game, the last year or whatever, and the fucking spider came around the corner trying to kill me, I'd probably shut off my console. But we're not going to get into that because it just upset me. Uh, but yeah, this game looks like a lot of fun. Uh, I'm hoping to get my hands on it at some point. Um, but yeah, so if you're a fan of the asymmetrical horror genre, this would be a good one. It looks fun. Good stuff. We need more of these games cranking out. Correct. And uh, yeah, I think that's all I got to say about that. So mm-hmm. let's move on to some PS4 back attachment talk. So the it's an official Sony attachment for the PlayStation 4 controller. Yep. It gives you two hotkeys on the back. Mm-hmm. Um, programmable. Yeah, programmable. And okay, cool. I get it. Uh, I like first-party attachments and mm-hmm. first-party controllers, obviously, because you can buy something like a scuff controller. Or, Correct. Or I believe Mad Cats even did it back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, considering it being first party is much higher quality, much mm-hmm. better, and things of that nature, I just think it's fucking ridiculous that, uh, first and foremost, the PlayStation 4 controllers have the worst battery life out of the three consoles right now. And I think putting this on there, isn't that going to drain your shit even more like that? Most likely. <laughs> I, I like the look of it. It looks very clean, and I like the button aesthetic, but you're not going to be looking at that. Yeah, it looked a little bulky to me. It looked like it added some bulk to the controller. I'm sure it does. Yeah, but I think for people with... Because that's like the big complaint about the Sony controllers. That's, oh, they're too small. So if you're like an Xbox guy, and maybe that'll actually add the, the depth that you need for the remote, you know? Uh, like I said, it looked a little bulky. I do like... Like I said, I like the idea of the programmable remote essentially trying to, uh, you know, to put the scuff out of business. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think they decided that, well, we need our fucking hands in that fucking... That kind of money Yeah, because there is no... PS Pro controller, PlayStation Elite controller. Correct. Yeah. It's all basically the same thing. They got the best color selection in the whole fucking 
industry right now as far as the PlayStation remotes. But Absolutely. But Counterpoint, you can pick and choose. You can customize a controller on the Xbox site. And mm-hmm. I, I think that simply because Sony doesn't have that, that's already a massive detriment. True. You know true. what I mean? Like have a dozen colors and you can pick your sticks, your buttons, your shell and everything. That's, that's true. You know what I mean? That's How true. fucking cool would that be? That would I'm be sure pretty cool. you'd have your own controller with Jacob on it. True, 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 for sure. I mean, I got a fucking collection here, but I'm not going to get into that. Uh, you know, how I spend my money is maybe your business, But, but here, here's my thought, right? Like, what are you going to use this for? Because the first thing I was like was, okay, this would be probably something nice for Mortal Kombat. And then I was like, they're not going to let you in the fucking tournament with that. Correct. They're not going to let you into any competitive fighting game tournament. Mm-hmm. And probably not into any competitive, like, COD tournament if Correct. they're doing consoles. Actually, I think Scuff is sponsored, so I wouldn't. it wouldn't surprise maybe. me. Maybe. It wouldn't maybe, surprise maybe. me, but yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's. I think it's something that's been marketed towards kind of shooters uh, previously, but um, yeah, it's kind of hard to find a market for it. I mean, it's, like I said, the PlayStation Remote isn't exactly the biggest, so it's really not that hard, like a reach to be able to hit any combination of buttons at once. Like it's not the end of the world, right? But it is what it is. What can you say? You know. Um, but yeah, it's kind of cool. I like. I like that. Like at near the end of the life cycle, like, oh, the goddamn thing. They want to fucking find ways to improve it. But yeah. it is what it is. Um, but yeah, Sony doing their thing. Uh, I thought it was pretty interesting. So yeah. My recommendation is that if you have something like a scuff controller or an Xbox Elite controller, just get a Skywin adapter. It's like forty bucks, and it pops into the back of the controller, and you can play your PlayStation Four with an Xbox controller, or you can play your Switch with an Xbox controller. Correct. And uh, anyway, that's that. I have a quick little tidbit on here. Sure. Uh, so Ice Nine Kills released. I, this isn't music. This is actually gaming. They released a this, yeah. mobile game, a Christmas horror theme thing. I don't know. I haven't touched it. Check it out, I guess. Ice Nine Kills kind of knows how to market their stuff. I, I saw it. I played it for like a second, but I couldn't get it to work properly on my phone. Uh, but essentially, it's their the video game that was in the Merry Xmas Music video, you know how they played, Little Spencer played the game or whatever. And it's kind of a ripoff of that, or it kind of looked like that. So it thought it was kind of cool, but I couldn't get it to work properly uh, on my phone at least. And I'm not saying it's the thing's fault, but I don't know. I'm busy. But um, so, yeah, there's that. And I'm, I apologize if anybody heard my phone unplug because it came into my headset. So I'm assuming you heard it too. Cool, cool. <laughs> uh, so let's get into music news and reviews. we got sure. a bigger topic. But first, let's talk about Jamie's Elsewhere possibly returning. So actually, this is funny how we were just talking about a Mice and Man last week. Uh, but uh, Jamie's Elsewhere is Aaron Pauly's previous project. He yep. was uh, David Navarro was in that, right? No. Or am I thinking Diary of Jane? You're thinking Jane's Addiction. Jane's Addiction. Sweet. So, so many. Bro, what? A, <laughs> what is with like Jane's? You know what I mean? I don't know. And being crazy. I I'm thinking know. Jane's Addiction. Thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, apparently um, because of the 10 year anniversary of his debut album is next year. Um, that he's opted to maybe doing like a tour with Jamie's Elsewhere to bring back some of those older songs. It looks like Mike Mice and Men will be taking a little bit of a break, but the guy's working hard. And I thought that was kind of cool. Um, so like I said, the band was was not well known. Um, I liked them, but uh, the music very much a product of the time. But that's okay. And uh, yeah, he's gonna come back and do his uh, his other project for a little bit. So I thought it was kind of cool. So I wanted to bring it up. All right, you ready for this one? Because yep. I posed this challenge to you last week, a little more than a week ago, actually, because we, we officially announced it on last week's show, 143, mm-hmm. uh, the top 10 albums that defined the decade in the scene. So mm-hmm. we're looking particularly at like punk, rock, hardcore, metalcore, things of that nature. Correct. And uh, all right, before we dive into it, how was your experience coming up with this list? It was fun. Um, like I, I mentioned it, I think, last week to you, how... It was more difficult coming up with the bands because the albums came very naturally after I selected the band because I think it's a very big part of it. You have to select a band that had the impact uh, in this particular, you know, last decade. And then from that point, 
it was fun kind of listening at some of the older albums, especially stuff like early, early, early 2000, like yeah, 2011 ish. Yeah. 2011, mm-hmm. 2012. It was a lot of fun looking back on some of this stuff. But um, I think that I did it. I, I definitely had, I want to say like four that I knew for sure were going to make the cut. Right. And then um, filling in the other six was interesting because I'd be like, okay, well, here we go. One, two, three, four, five. And then I was like, well, shit, I didn't count for th- these three artists or these three albums. And I'm like, all right, let's go back and redo it and redo it and redo it. Did you do this in any particular order or is it just 10 albums that, that you thought of? I knew what my number one, what my number two and what my number 10 were going to be. Okay. So those spots filled in very naturally. Okay. And then I kind of had to sit down and I kind of had to cycle through my most listened to stuff mm-hmm. from the decade okay. and then siphon through that because just because I like it doesn't mean that they, they had, had the a impact. massive impact. Correct. So a band like To The Wind that I cherished very near and dear, mm-hmm. they're not going to make the cut, unfortunately. For sure. Because they're a much smaller band Absolutely. at the end of the day. Yeah. And so my thing was I'm going to be as objective as possible mm-hmm. and I'm just going to I'm just gonna spearhead it. And I think the, the last thing I did today was I just rearranged the last couple things because I was like, okay, maybe this one deserves to be a, a notch higher. Okay, with that with that being said, I actually did not do this in any particular order. Okay, right? Cause I, I, I did do mine in a particular order. Because I think that would really complicate things. Sure. Uh, I think the, the most fun I had this was when I had my set 10, mm-hmm. and I sat down and I re-listened to it, and I had to write a paragraph because I wrote a paragraph for everything just to kind okay. of explain. And I think that was the most fun. Yeah. was just kind of going back and looking at it. So here's how I propose we do this. I propose that we go through our lists. Okay. Uh, we say the band, the album, our little explanation. The other guy comments whether he wants to or not. Mm-hmm. And then we just kind of, like I said, so one of us plows through the list with the other guy supplementing comments and mm-hmm. then we switch off. Okay, cool. So uh, I wonder how much we're going to have in common. I'm sure we have a few. Yeah, I'm sure we have at least two. Okay. I already know. Um, do you want to go first? Shall I go first? I'll go first because uh, I don't have the paragraph like you do. <laughs> but sure. that's okay. Well, I'm going to start bottom up, bottom up because I guess this might be the natural order of things. But uh, I'm going to put Knock Loose Laugh Tracks on this list just due to the fact that um, I think it kind of brought hardcore music back in the forefront. You know, I think it kind of, especially near the end, <laughs> near the end of the decade, um, you know, I think suddenly everybody got really interested in hardcore and seeing them play. I should have gone first. Fuck you. On that little stage <laughs> on, uh, at Warp Tour and kind of seeing the buzz that was surrounding them during the end of the decade. It, it was good stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's very hard to deny. And like I said, we are being very partial on this. If you ask me to select one hardcore album, it, for me personally, which ones I enjoyed the most, it would be Vanna. But Vanna, actually, not on this list. So, um, yeah, Knock Loose Laugh Tracks. I think it's good. All right, next one. Sweet. All right. Oops, sorry. I uh, I don't want to comment too much on that one because, surprise, <laughs> it's on my list too. Okay. Uh, the Anime Affliction, Let the Ocean Take Me. You know, that was an honorable mention for me. It didn't make the cut. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, Go ahead. Rat- rattle off what you got to say. So, yeah. I, I got mean, some thoughts about this. I think well. um, they, they brought Melody back to Metalcore. Yes. Okay. Um, and I think um, they got a new set of eyes on it because seeing them live and seeing kind of how the impact they had, they got a lot of the girlies into the music, into the, into the genre, kind of as an infection vector. And like I said, a lot of melody in there. And a lot of beautiful, powerfully well-written lyrics and choruses, big catchy choruses. Absolutely, is a must. Absolutely, and uh, that they really, I think, for that album in particular, they really stuck around. Everything subsequently removed. This album had an impact. Uh, I saw the crowds; people were really into them. And you know, here they are. Let the oceans take me is a very natural progression because I feel like modern day bring me the horizon is kind of the gateway into things correct and then let the oceans take me a day to remember and then your life just goes downhill from there and you're <laughs> listening to bands like uh die artist murder and True. cattle decapitation and True. you hate your parents and they don't understand why every t-shirt you own now is black and has blood on it C- correct 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 
Uh, next up, Let Live Fake History. Had to put it on here. I think just due to the fact that it was such a unique blend of genres, um, that it's, it was a little bit of punk, a little bit of funk, a little bit of rap, you know, and uh, just the ability to kind of bridge the gap for all people involved. Uh, easily the best, in my opinion, the best Let Live album. Uh, and I just, to me, it was just such a unique approach. And whether people want to admit it or not, I think it kind of opened the doors for the bands like the Sleeping with Sirens and stuff like that to gain popularity because it had the kind of the the melody and stuff like that along with it, and just kind of this unique blend of genres. So I could not have this list without including Let Live Fake History. I uh, I hate that we've gone from I miss X band to I hate Let Live because that hurts not going to go away. <laughs> Absolutely. So moving along, uh, Motionless and White Creatures. Nice. Put it on the list, uh, just due to, uh, just take, dude, just fucking walk around a warp tour. <laughs> you know, obviously we can't do that anymore. But they had a, a big, massive following. This was easy. The, be- the one of the better albums that they had. Uh, I think it definitely had uh, the impact in the long run. I think a lot of people still look back at that as one of the better releases of the time. Was that 2011? Yeah, early, maybe 2012. You know, uh, very early in the year. And uh, the, a band that was debuting really packed a punch, and their longevity is still here. They're still around. They're still very popular. Still selling a ton of records. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, it set the table for them to kind of take over the scene. And like I said, if you walked around the Warped Tour at any point in time over the last decade, you'll know what I'm talking about. I think that the beauty of Creatures was that it was really a package deal that you were given this band called motionless and white that you knew nothing about and mm-hmm. they wore makeup and crazy costumes on stage and they sang about things like the witch burnings mm-hmm. and fucking you know london terror absolutely. it was really more than an album at the end of the day for sure great analysis though absolutely absolutely next up bare tooth disgusting you want to talk about kind of like the middle ground for the casual fan or the fan that maybe not be directly into this style of music a band that was an infection vector bare tooth disgusting is that infection vector i think it bridged the gap for a lot of people uh brought a lot of new eyes onto into the scene of music and i know that for a fact just due to the fact that i had conversations with people who had never heard about hardcore music before suddenly love suddenly caleb ta- shoma yeah suddenly started talking about them and this band that was essentially a side project for a guy who was in a band that was much more established at the time and easily blew up to be one of the bigger bands of the scene if not one of the biggest and uh not just that because i think uh, it's easy to kind of see stuff like that, but I, for me, the fact that they still t- stay true to themselves, I didn't feel like they ever like sold out or or comp or what's the um, compromise the integrity of what they do to appease to a certain. They're making music that they want to make, and uh, I give them all the credit in the world. And granted, I may not be the biggest Beartooth fan in the world, but I tell you right now, this album had me by the balls when it came out, and I know it had both of us by yeah, the balls. I know it did for you as well. So. Bear Tooth Disgusting is on this list. What's uh what's the number that we're on currently? Uh one, two, three, four, five. This that's my fifth one. Okay, so we're at number six now? Yep. Uh every time I die from parts unknown. Now Ooh, ooh interesting choice. Ooh, I know what Gabe's gonna say, but um yeah, man. The elder statesman of the scene. Um, I think that was the first release of this decade or just borderline, maybe no, the second, X second. Lives was twenty twelve. Yeah. yeah. Uh so the second one and they fucking just Asserted their dominance, man. They they continue. They at that point continue to release high quality music, and obviously that hasn't stopped subsequently. Um, and just proving that they're here to stay and they're not going anywhere. Um, and they are. I don't want to say that they're the they're not because they're not sonically they're not the same band, but they are the same guys who are willing to put in the grind to work hard. They are the perfect example of what working hard for your craft means and looks like. These are the guys that spend countless hours 
finding the perfect build for their god and smite. Correct. And then, and then that establishes the new meta. Correct. Correct. And uh, it's just to me, uh, there's no way because they were one of the ex- one of the example bands that I told you. I'm like, there's ba- there's bands on this they list could, that could have a few. Team, so okay, so here's my question because what made you choose from parts unknown over low teens? I I, I was it okay because low teens I would say is a very uh, much more calm down sort of precision act. Yeah. It's a very much a balance between very rhythmic rock and, mm-hmm. and things like uh, what I like to describe chaos core, whereas from parts unknown is belligerent. It's loud. It's in your face. And cause just because I feel like it was like the, the most of them that they've, that sure. they were, you know what I mean? That the most, every time I die, they can be. And again, um, it's a, it's an album that did very well. And um, like I said, just, just the ability to the staying power that the album has, one of my favorite every time I die songs is on this. And with the boys. Yep, it's it's on there. You know what I mean? Uh, there's like there's a few of them that just the songs just fucking rip, man. Like what can, what yeah, can I, Eldorado, yeah, more. Yeah, what can I say? And I and I'll say this just due to the impact it had on me. Um, listening to from parts unknown directly influenced the sound that the band that I was in had. For better or for worse, took a little bit of that. We every, were in, huh? We were in. Oh well, yeah, true. <laughs> uh, that we were in that just kind of influenced a lot of the sound where it kind of had that kind of chaos. And it's something that you can't replicate. And, um, I just love cause I, I, it puts me in a place when I listen to it. And that's, I think that's why I loved low teens. I thought it was a great album, but to me, the, from parts unknown stands out just, just a little bit more, just a smidge. Excellent. Def, definitely one of the harder decisions between the bands that I had to make. Absolutely. Well, you know what we say on this podcast is that there's no wrong answer for your favorite. Every time I die album. Correct. Absolutely. So there was that. August Burns Red, Rescue and Restore. Ooh, lordy. Yeah, Rescue and Restore. Easily their best album of the last you know, several few. Uh, of, I, of the decade, would you put it above um, uh, Constellations? Uh, well, that's, that's well, tough, huh? Because Constellations was 09. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, I mean, um, I think as far as the more popular songs, for sure, I think Constellations had bigger songs. Mariana's Trance, Whitewash. Yeah, stuff like that, yeah. But I don't know, for me personally, because... That has one of the nastiest breakdowns of all time and, and fault line. That fucking breakdown is just fucking brutal and fucking I can't even take it. And um, you know, what I mean, I had to include August Burns Red. There's no way that August Burns Red was not gonna be on this list. I prefer it over Anth- uh, Phantom Anthem. You know, uh, I'm sure most people do. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's again these guys, they're all ex- you know exceptional at what they do. And uh, to me, it was the most refined version of their sound. A little less chaotic but everything was precision, calculated, well-put-together album. And uh, like I said, there was no way that August Burns was not going to be on this Excellent list. Excellent choice, my friend. No way. No fucking way. All right. Next up. Now, this might be a hotter take because I know they had two that pretty easily made this list. Bring Me the Horizon, Sep Eternal. You want to talk about genre-defining? You want to talk about Infection Vector? Do I have to say anymore? <laughs> you don't. Yeah, I, do, I don't. Um, like I said, I know there was hell was at 10. So I'm not playing favorites because it is my favorite album. But I'm talking about the impact that it had on the scene. It changed the landscape. And how many bands have we had that are just imitations of Seb Turner era bring me the horizon since then? A lot, you know, sure. and um, can I say, man? Excellent <laughs> list, my friend. Uh, you have one more, right? Uh, two more. Two, dos mas. Yeah. The Architects, Lost Together. Yep, Lost, lost forever. forever. Yep. I knew that was going to make your cut. Yep. It's hard to, it's a, okay, it, it wasn't, I don't think it was a massive album, but it's something very hard to miss. Correct. 
this is a band I think or an album that catapulted them even further up into the kind of the yes. the uh, god tier of metalcore bands because um, they had a lot of good albums. Um, and they even had some experimental ones where a little bit more posty in the middle. Um, but this, they had so many good songs on this album, Gravedigger, Naysayer, Cancer, fucking Broken Cross. You just can't, you just can't, you can't not, uh, Sam Carter showing that he is, I say this, uh, probably the best vocalist alive right now, in my opinion. Oh, that's a really hot take. Yeah. Just, just to me, there's nobody who can do exactly what he does. There are people who can do things like that, like him. But they can't do all of them, right? Um, and to me, he, he's the best vocalist alive at the moment, especially since Chester Bennington passed away. I, I got to give it to Sam. Uh, and his performance on this was exceptional. And it's funny because when you look back, um, a lot of the lyrical content before we knew that uh, – oh, my God, his name has escaped me now. What's his name? Sam Carter. No, no, no. Fuck. With the, Tom? Yeah, Tom. Thank, I'm sorry. I was going to think Dan, but Dan's his brother. Um, in retrospect, when you look back, a lot of the lyrical content – Top sickness is very apparent if you're paying close enough attention. And, um, and granted, the, other, the next album down the line, you know, we knew what happened. Tom passed away. But um, like I said, if you take a deeper look and really under the magnifying glass, take a look at the lyrics. Um, you know, it, it's a beautiful. It was always there. We just never saw it. Uh, correct. Correct. And it's absolutely beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous. And again, you could have had a conversation about these two. You know, I think uh, uh, all the gods have abandoned us can be very easily been up there as well. But the list one to one. Interesting choice because yeah. I know you didn't particularly love that album. I, d- I liked it. I definitely li- I definitely liked it. Uh, and there's some songs on it that really hit home. But for me, uh, just seeing um, that stuff and when it came out, and just everybody was fucking saying, "What you know? You are the reason we are better than them." Some like that's powerful, man. I mean, it's, good stuff. It's beautiful things. And uh, one of the better live shows of this decade was Let Live and the Architects in the same show. You want to talk about fucking bananas? Those fucking bananas. What's All your right. last one? Alrighty, uh, this one I had less, actually probably the least amount to say, probably should have started with this one, but it is what it is. Parkway Drive, Deep Blue. Just because, uh, basically this one and Atlas kind of fought fought to the death. <laughs> basically fought to the death with me. Uh, uh, it's I just picked Deep Blue just because I, I remember more off of it. I remember the era. They were very, very, very fucking big. Very big during this the time period. Metal core, dude. Yeah, they were very big. And, um. I just remember seeing that fucking t-shirt and that album cover every fucking where during the time period. And I like Parkway Drive, um, you know, but I, I would not be, I wouldn't, I would be lying to you if I did not include one of their albums on this list. So this, this is the one I picked. Let me Very turn on the light. Interesting. That, All right. Uh, that is my 10. Pretty solid list, I've got to say. I think you put some thought into it. I, I think there was very minimal uh, subjectivity, if that makes sense. Okay. I think you kind of put your, your feelings aside. I did. Um, and that being said, uh, I'm surprised you didn't include a couple of things. And I, I am surprised that you did include a couple of other albums. Okay. So whenever you're ready, we can go through my 10. Give me one second, sir. Let me get He's my He's putting the monitors back on. Hairs All right. up. All righty, buddy. Let's go. some hot takes. Now we can have full conversations about some of these things because we did have some overlap there. Okay, good. Um, so my number 10 album of the most defining albums of the genre, The Devil Wears Prada, Dead Throne. Okay. Whoa! <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hear me out. I thought you. Wait. Whoa. He, he, okay. So it's not my favorite Devil Wears Prada album. Okay. And 
but but here's what I had to say about it. I'm just going to let kind of my words speak for myself. Mm-hmm. A flashback to the 2011 era, Malcor Screamo has peaked and copycat bands are on the rise. The Devil Wears Prada drops Dead Throne, a stylistic departure from their earlier work. This was a key defining moment in their career, solidifying them as a band that has no intentions of going away. Mm-hmm. A development in their discography in which the band was confident enough to stray away from the sound that blew them up. None of these tracks are apologetic or half-assed in their presentation and construction. Dead Throne was the turning point for not only the Devil Wears Prada, but as well for the careful crafting and precise tones that go into the production of Territories Unknown. Okay. That's what I had to say about that album. Talking to the microphone. Talking into the microphone. <laughs> Sorry. What are your thoughts on that? Because I'm surprised this album didn't make it well, for you. I, tr- I tried, like you said, to remove my favoritism here. Sure. If you would have told me to admit, list my 10 favorites, mm-hmm. that would be on the list. Um, now, I don't know... Me personally, again, it's my favorite, but I don't know how about the, the prolonged impact it had. I mean, it's your opinion. I mean, I, I, sure. I, I'm, I'm definitely not going to fight you for putting Death, <laughs> Thro- Death Throne on the list. Trust me, I'm not. Um, I, I think, because um, we said no EPs, I think if we did include EPs, Zombies in Space would have been the worst decision we'd had to make for this entire fucking year. Correct, yeah. Um, I, I do think that there is something special about Death Throne, though, and I think there's very few bands where you can kind of pinpoint that this is their... Um, this is I don't want to say that this is their 15 minutes because you could say that about plagues and about with roots, but Dead Throne people knew that Mike, Jeremy, Chris, and the guys they're not fucking around anymore. I think I think Dead Throne removes the oh it's just a fad from yeah, from, absolutely. from their outlook. They didn't ride a wave. In fact, that they you know they were right there when the wave was crumbling over, and then they caught a completely new fucking wave. Correct, and they rode that shit. Perfect. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Nailed it. Number nine is a relatively newer album. It's 2018. Uh, Vane, Arizona. Okay, so here's what I had to say about that. Name your favorite new metal band from the early 2000s. Vane, and most importantly, their 2018 album, Arizona, has probably taken some sort of influence from that band. Everything from its Hanna-Barbera sampling to its operation room-like <laughs> atmosphere, Vane shows the magnificence of crossing chaos with art, and this is the album to cleanse your brain of any last bits of sanity that may have been left. <laughs> this album is in its fucking insanity. Correct. Honest to God. And I think that what Vane is doing is that they're mixing elements of hardcore, metalcore, new metal, everything that's come before it in this crazy, catastrophic amalgamation of... Everybody's like, what the fuck is this? But I like it. Mm-hmm. And they're in such a powerful position at the moment. And I want to see them pioneer maybe a new fucking subgenre. Okay. Where everything is on meth and fast <laughs> and just we're dry kicking walls now. You okay. know what I mean? Okay. Okay. Any thoughts? I like that. That's yeah. Good. I mean, there's definitely a curveball. Uh, I like it, though. I, I definitely enjoyed the album. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. I, I re-listened to it on the way here, man. I'm you su- saw me in the car. Yes, I'm surprised that it made your list, though. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, number eight is a album called Magma by Gojira. Rhythmic and purposeful in its delivery and sonic presence, Gojira yet again dropped another metal masterpiece with Magma. If the sound of war drums can rally troops, then the sound of the guitar picking and stranded can rally the pit warriors for one last endeavor. Okay. This thing is more of a quote-unquote traditional metal album as Mm -hmm. opposed to some of the hardcore and metalcore albums on this list. Mm -hmm. But I think that Gojira has stood the test of time, and for fuck's sake, they they toured with Volbeat and Slipknot. What more can you say about Mm -hmm. a band like that other than consistently dropping great fucking albums Back to back to back to back. Very cool. Good stuff. Number seven, Parkway Drive Deep Blue. Ooh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Here's what I had to say about this one. 
A passionate fighter is dangerous, but a passionate and smart fighter is deadly. Deep Blue is the perfect example of harnessing raw aggression with laser focus. Instrumentals and vocal delivery and production are all on the same page. Who needs a line in a metalcore song about the undertow when you could have a full whole fucking album about it? True. This was a concept album by Winston and the guys, and it did not fucking disappoint. I don't care if they hated recording this album. I don't care if they hate performing some of the shit off this. When Samsara comes on and you hear the bubbles going, you know, going up, you knew that you were in some weird, like that episode of Metalocalypse where they're in the submarine going lower, like the Mermaid or music <laughs> video. You knew you were in for a fucking trip. And okay. you were strapped in and you listened all the way through. Correct. And this thing is such a good fucking representation of what that band can do when they want to not only push themselves, but their limits. Mm-hmm. Deep Blue is a fucking great album. Yes, I it love is. It. It's also my. I, I did consider uh, Atlas as an album. I don't think Atlas has it. Really? As, as singles, I think there's a lot of good singles. As a complete piece, couldn't do it, man. I think I th- I think that's fine. Kind of a fair argument. I agree with that. It, it's like I mean, we we can have this argument about a lot of bands, honestly. Yeah, for sure. Uh, number six, the Dillinger Escape Plan. One of us is the killer. Okay. Uh, five madmen gather at a studio in the early months of 2013 and drop an absolute shrapnel bomb of an album onto the scene. What ensued was insanity gracefulness, poise, and eccentricity. The title track of the album shows the beauty and gentle swing of Greg Pucciato's whimsical voice, and as soon as the beast of the audience is calmed and swayed, the following track returns to the tried-and-true shredding and hailstorms of double bass and snares that sent the world into absolute chaos with the band's first release. The Dillinger Escape Plan sets the bar to insurmountable heights with this album and paved the way for the next... uh, It paved the way for the next wave of what I like to call the chaos core bands like CU space cowboy and callous Dowboys, those guys, it really, really set the fucking bar up there. Even every time I die, there's no way you can't tell me that Dillinger escape plan didn't influence them in some mm-hmm. way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Cool. Number five. Very, very cool. Let live fake history. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. So fake history is the precursor to all the Jason Butler projects we know and love today. Mm-hmm. This album is the perfect harmony of both style and substance. Let Live has proved to be an absolute force of nature, and this is this album is the band's Gale wins. It is fucking powerful. It is impactful, and you nailed it. I mean, it's just a combination of rap, rock, funk, punk, all everything in between, and Let Live was just such an interesting fucking project that formed from the gutters, mm. and they made such a massive impact, and now they're gone. Correct. And I love fake history. Can you name any more of a one any better chant vocal than uh don't you cry mama will will be okay that one's properly good yeah. but uh even then man there's so many you could pick from the let live discography yeah. they're just fucking crowd pleasers like the six 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 point eight billion people i listened to that yesterday and i was thinking i was like this album came out 2011 and now we have eight billion people let that sink in mm-hmm. now this now this is outdated yeah you know for sure and man yeah i, I can, no arguments there absolute sir. insanity number four kind of kind of getting higher up on the list thy art is murder hate wow okay. wow yeah i'm surprised you didn't include uh Annotations of an autopsy. I thought about it. They are just murder. Yeah. So Deathcore has had its high points and its low points, but when we look at the evolution throughout the years, Hate is the single album I would point to that brought Deathcore genre to its 3.0 update. A very noticeable (laughs) and deliberate upgrade from the late 2000s scene. The Hate album delivers on all aspects musically, and it truly earns its album title by the end of the 36-minute run for your life. (laughs) I like that, man. Good stuff. Good stuff. I like your snippets. Number three. 
Beartooth Disgusting. Mm-hmm. Beartooth Disgusting. So Caleb Shomo's passion project quickly turned into a one-man army and became a kerosene-soaked fire. Disgusting is an album that piqued everybody's curiosity and satiated the emotional need for those who never truly found their place in the crowd. This is an album for the angry, for the hopeless, and for the kids that have no voice. Beartooth Disgusting is to the outcast what Han was to Chewie. Okay. 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 That's good. good. That's good. Number two, Knocked Loose. Left tracks. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. When we look at the recent hardcore revival movement, people will point to two bands, Code Orange and Knocked Loose. Laugh tracks breathed in an icy breath of fresh air into a genre that was second to swooshy hair and tight jeans for so, so long. Laugh tracks is a quintessential album for any modern core fan. It will forever be a staple in the hardcore diet. Okay, cool. And my number one, Bring Me the Horizon, Sempaternal. That's what I thought, okay. <laughs> um, I mean, we did a whole review on... There is a hell, and mm-hmm. we love it to pieces. Mm-hmm. And Sempaternal is still the era of when we were involved. Mm-hmm. But let, let me just get right into it because I think there's a lot to say about this album. On the 1st of April 2013, the world was impacted in such a critical manner. The production lyricism and the album as a package were like un, were unlike anything that had come before it. For the first time in the band's history, Bring Me the Horizon was a truly widespread and accessible to the likes of metalcore kids, pop punk kids, and many, many more to come. Mm-hmm. The shockwaves of Sempaternal are still shaking up the music scene to this day with bands like Dayseeker, Bad Omens, and Northern Ghost. Correct. This is my number one because I think this album, you cannot ignore it. I think it should be number one just due to the fact that it influenced the next generation of bands that are going to come. Absolutely. Like, if you look at like Metallica albums... Yeah. What influenced bands like Slipknot Correct. and Korn. Correct. You gotta this is it, man. Yeah, that, that I like if you if I numbered it, that would have probably been my number one as well. Uh but yeah, man, that's a solid list. How many do we have in common? Like six? Four. We had <laughs> okay. four in common. So top down we had Sempaternal, mm-hmm. Laugh Tracks, Disgusting, uh, Let Live, and Oh, Deep Blue, so five. five. Okay. We so, had five in common. About a okay. lot more overlap than I thought. Yeah, for sure. Um I mean, because I think I think just the fact that we had so much overlap, I think, just further drives home the point of how impactful these albums were. You know, that the fact that two different individuals who did not, we did not converse about this list at all. And uh, e- even then, we we didn't know each other before 2015. Correct. So it's like things like Sempaternal, mm-hmm. things like Fake uh, History. Fake History, even shit like what else on here Deep was Blue. kind of earlier? Deep Blue was super early. Yeah. I, you know, you look at some of these and you think, like I, there was a whole ass Gabe before Jake came into the picture mm-hmm. and this still made the cut without Correct. his influence. That's Correct. crazy. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a, those are two very solid lists. I think I love your, when you fucking actually write down a Rick, like something and yeah, I, it, it, genius will strike at odd times. I'll be on the <laughs> toilet. I'll be like, I got to write about dead. Th- <laughs> I got to write about dead throne while I'm on the porcelain throne. Right. For sure. Yeah, man. I think, I think that's pretty encapsulating. I think we, uh, we also got the two kind of different looks, but like you said, I mean, like we've only spent half the decade together. So the other half, you know, it's very much interpretation how we viewed the world at the time. And um, kind of what we were jamming to. Correct. I mean, um, you know, I, I had gone to every Warped Tour, you know, this this decade. So it's interesting, you know, uh, how, how that worked out. And um, yeah, man, it was, a, it was a fun look, though. It was definitely a fun looking back, especially like a creatures and things like that. Looking back and that type of stuff. Um, do you have any honorable mentions? Honorable mentions. Hmm. I have. Uh, if you notice, no. Every time I die, I made the cut. That was shocking. And I love low teens, and I think it's a fucking phenomenal album. But um, that's one of those things, man, where it's super subjective. At the end of the day, if we did a top fifteen or top twenty, I'm sure low teens would have made it no problem. But if we're sticking to top ten, we got to cut through a lot of crap because in 2010, 
Hot Topic was a very, very different place. Correct. And we have to sort through, honestly, hundreds of fans through our like recollections and memories mm-hmm. and for sure. things of that nature. Uh, I, I have a few off the top of my head. Uh, first off, uh, Free by 100th. Interesting choice. Yeah. Over uh, Let Go? Yeah. Any particular reason? Well, is Let Go this? 2011. Was it? Okay, yeah. I, oh, I, 2011 was a fucking great year. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, I just, I love I love Free. I thought it was fucking a fantastic album. It was beautiful. Uh, as far as hardcore music goes, I think it's one of the better out there. Uh, and, um, of course, um, I Killed the Prom Queen, Beloved, was also what to make the list. But I'm like, eh, let's try to, you know, get a little bit more diversity. Because, like I said, if I think... If I included, especially the I Killed the Prom Queen one, as far as Impact may not be there, one of my personal favorites, for sure. Impact on you, for sure. Yeah. Impact on the scene? Not so much. Mm, yeah. Debatable. Not so much. So uh, those are two for, for two for sure that I had. Yeah, my, my three were the Every Time I Die Low Teens, Strangers Only by My Ticket Home, uh, honorable mention. I thought about that one, too. And then Long Live by Chariot. It just made the cut at 2010. Yeah. And I was like... Man, <laughs> I feel grimy for not including the chariot, but I'm like, sorry, you guys. You didn't put you didn't put every time I die on, so I think that was show some pretty good restraint. Yeah, on your part, because <laughs> it, it was gonna make one of our lists, man. Yeah, for sure, for sure. There's That's a- funny. You put my favorite band, and I put your favorite band. <laughs> Weird. So yeah, man, that was a pretty good list. I enjoyed that. Like I said, it was a lot of fun looking back on some of the stuff that we've explored uh, over the last decade or so, and well. Or so last decade, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's good looking back on some of those things, and especially like when it comes to like, oh man, things that you thought for sure were gonna make your list, and you look and listen back, you're like, ah, you maybe not gotta sort them out. Yeah, maybe not. You know, uh, things like that. Um, you know, I thought it was, it was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun with this project. So, with that being said, Gabe, is that it? Yeah, I think we have our year in review next year or next week. Whoops. Yeah, it would have to be next uh, next week. And then we got a special album review on the first episode of the new year. Yeah, okay. And I think that's 144. Yeah, I believe that was episode 144 of the Second City Kids podcast. Obviously, we covered a lot of stuff, and we only had like six things on the agenda. So, uh, hey, man, um, this is what, we, this is what we, we started the podcast for, right? Mm-hmm. So, with that being said, thank you guys for joining us for episode 144. We will see you here next week for episode 145, which will be our 2019 Year in review. I cannot fucking believe it. I feel like we were just in here doing the 2018 year in review. Get ready for some more lists. Yeah, we, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, we're still finalizing these things. At least I am, and uh, taking a look at how it works out and all that. But with that being said, uh, we will see you guys here next week. And until next time, deuces. <laughs>Thank you guys for joining us this week on the Second City Kids podcast. You can like us on iTunes, Google, anywhere else podcasts are found. Any comments, questions, or concerns, you can email us at secondcitykids at gmail.com. Until next week, folks, deuces.